Well, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Last week we looked at the first seven verses. This morning we're going to look at verse 8 through the end of the chapter. Verse 8 through 18. What we saw last week is that Paul is in very bad shape. This is not good. He's not in a good situation. He is facing the worst in life at this point when he's writing a letter to encourage someone he's made a significant investment in. And in the midst of having, facing the worst that life can throw at you, he writes a letter of encouragement to somebody else. And he's encouraged Timothy to stay in the game, fan the flame of your gifting among the people of God. You have a spirit of power, love, and self-control because that's who God is. That's what's available to you. And so then he turns and says some things here about not being ashamed of him, of your testimony, and not being ashamed of the Lord. And so what we're going to look at, this is kind of where we're headed. We're not going to go in order piece by piece through this verse by verse, but I want to look at and show you how being unashamed is connected to being convinced. And then I want to look at the, the verses right in the middle of this passage of how does Paul encourage him once again. And then, of course, we'll look at the last few verses where Paul is saying some people have bailed out and some people have stayed. Okay, so that may not be real clear to you right now, but hopefully it will be in a minute. So let's read this. Verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, therefore, so we've got to remember, what is he saying? Therefore, because you have this available spirit of power, love, and self-control, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains." But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered to me in Ephesus. Paul uses this word, unashamed or don't be ashamed. He uses the word a lot. You heard uh, Scott preach on it, I think, last spring in Romans 1. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And so he uses this word, uh, being ashamed, 
And he always uses it when he's facing trouble. When trouble comes, don't be ashamed. What, I want you to un, kind of understand why he's using that word. Paul, his faith was a very public faith. His faith was not something that he kept to himself. He was very bold with his faith. He spoke in, he spoke up to unbelievers and believers about the good news about Jesus and its implications. He's not uh, hesitant with his faith or to speak up about it. In any circumstance, in any situation, he's engaging city leaders, politicians, economic leaders, men in the marketplace. He is speaking up and he is bold about this good news. And so his faith, because it's a public faith, it causes some trouble. And it brings some criticism. And it brings some offended people around him. And we know that to be true because the Bible tells us this is going to be a, an aroma of life to some and an aroma of death to others. Some are going to love it and most are going to think it's foolish. So we shouldn't be surprised that when you're public and you speak up and out about your faith and about Jesus, it's going to cause some friction. There's going to be some tension. And that is definitely happening with Paul. In fact, he is ridiculed, left all alone. He's actually put in jail because of his boldness and because of what he's saying. Because they want him to stop. And he's all alone. And now, at his first hearing, no one stood up for him. Not one person. Not one believer. Not one friend stood up for him. And now his next hearing, he knows He'll be given a sentence of execution. And so he's in a tight spot. And this is what he says to Timothy. Don't be ashamed of this. Don't be surprised by it. Think about your own life. Think about when your faith gets pulled out into the open. Or maybe in a conversation at work when you hear something and you think, Oh man, I know that's not true. I know something to be true. <laughs> I've been equipped to speak into this, but should I say something? Well, will the room get awkward if I speak up, if I'm bold? Will I offend them? I don't want them to not like me. I don't want them to not be friends with me. What? When should I speak up? When should I not? And those feelings, that knot you get in your stomach, that's shame. That's believing or telling yourself or maybe other people telling you, you should be quiet and not do that. You should not say those things that offend me. You should not say those things that make me feel uncomfortable. You don't call me to repentance. You don't say things that are going to unnerve me, even if they're true. And that's shame that we feel. Maybe many of you who have unbelieving extended family members... I know I've heard you tell the stories, and I've known many friends who, when their faith gets pulled out at the dinner table over the holidays, or something gets said about Jesus or his church, and your extended family get, rolls their eyes, you know, just rolls their eyes at you and your faith. And because they make you feel like you're weak, you need religion, they don't buy it, right? And that feeling you get when you think, I don't want to talk about this here in front of these people. I don't want to alienate. I don't want to offend. I don't want to hurt any feelings. That's shame. 
And Paul says to Timothy, a timid guy, right? The guy who doesn't speak up naturally, who naturally doesn't just be bold. He says to him, you have nothing to be ashamed of. And so when you are in those situations, Paul would say to you, listen, you don't have anything to be ashamed of. This is, he's going to go on to say, some people are going to not like this, and they're going to bail out, and they're going to leave. Some will stay. But you don't have anything to be ashamed of when you give testimony to the Lord and His good grace in and through Jesus. When you testify to that, don't be ashamed of it, no matter what other people think. No matter what. Now, that's hard for me to do and easy for me to say up here because I am naturally timid. I've, I haven't always been comfortable doing this. Now, I, this is not something that comes natural to me to preach boldly, to speak boldly into situations. So understand, we all can experience this shame when it comes to speaking up and being bold with the good news. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Every time Paul uses this word, he's referring to trouble and suffering brought on by speaking up and speaking into situations with the good news about Jesus. Now, he's not just talking about suffering in general. He's talking about a, a persecuted faith here. And the difference is, Jesus said this world was going to have trouble. We have plenty of trouble. But more specifically, Paul is saying being persecuted, ridiculed, shamed, left bailed out on because of your faith. Being persecuted for your faith. And Paul says your response is don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed when people reject you. Don't be ashamed of that. You have no reason to be, unashamed, to be ashamed. Look down at verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. This, this gospel... This is for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. He's not surprised by this. The reason I'm suffering is because I'm speaking and teaching boldly about Jesus. And he's not surprised by it. He knows that the reason he is being ridiculed is because he is speaking boldly about Jesus. That's why. I don't have any reason to be ashamed of what I'm doing, speaking, I don't have any reason to be ashamed of being ridiculed or being left alone. I don't have any reason to be ashamed that people or friends are leaving. I have no reason. I am doing what he called me to do. And the second key point is in the next verse. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The reason that he's not ashamed is because he's convinced. The reason he can be unashamed and continue to speak boldly, even when in prison, even when facing death, the reason he can say this to Timothy is that he is convinced that this is true. Think about the things that you're convinced of, separate from your faith. Think about the things that you're good at your skills, maybe your job, your work, maybe a hobby, uh, maybe even a sports team. Not Ben, but everyone else, maybe you're convinced of a sports team. And you, you know, you've done the research, right? You know that, you know, you have a strong opinion and belief about 
musical equipment. You, you know musical equipment. You've done the research, right? You know about pianos and organs and drums. And, and if you're a musician, you know you have some strong opinions on it. Why? You did the research. You know about it. Right? You know the specifics. You've spent time getting to know this stuff. Bikes. Sound equipment. Whatever it is. Sports. You are convinced and have some beliefs about some things because you've done the research. You know a lot about it. Right? And when we're convinced about something, we speak up more quickly, don't we? When you hear somebody trash your favorite piano... They don't like it. Well, wait a minute. I, I know a lot about this. And I'm not going to... I need to speak up here, right? Or they have a, an opinion that's untrue about something you're convinced about. You're more quickly to speak up, aren't we? And so, you're not ashamed. Why? Because you have some knowledge. You've done your research. You're convinced. So I'm not ashamed to speak up what I'm confident in. And that's Paul. He's seen it. He's an apostle. He's, he's had eyewitness to Jesus. He's seen God be faithful. He knows what the Word says. He has done the research, and he's convinced. He is convinced, and so he will speak boldly and confidently about the things that he's convinced of. Unashamed. Has no reason to be ashamed when I know it to be true, and I'm convinced. And that's the way we are. We speak up when we're convinced. I'm thinking about... Peter and John in Acts 4. You can turn there if you want. Peter and John were so convinced that when the Sadducees came to them and said, Hey, listen, guys, you're causing a lot of trouble with this preaching about Jesus. We don't know what to do with you. People are asking us. They don't know what to do with you. It's causing a lot of confusion in the Jewish community. You need to stop. This is cutting against the culture. People are being offended. People are getting confused. You need to stop preaching. And this is what Peter and John say in Acts 4.19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. We, we can't stop speaking boldly. Because we've seen it. We've heard it. We're convinced We've done the research. We, we can't stop. And whether it makes you uncomfortable or is offensive to others or is confusing, that's, you be the judge of that. That's not on us. We're not ashamed of it. Do you hear that? Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, if it makes you uncomfortable, if, it's, if you don't want to be my friend, if, if it... If this is offensive to you, you don't like it, you be the judge of that. But I'm not ashamed to speak clearly and boldly about the good news about Jesus. In fact, we can't stop. And we're not going to stop. Unashamed. You see it? So, what, is, what are we to do? Keep doing the research. It's why we continue to study the gospel. It's why we continue to need the gospel. The, the details, the doctrines, the implications of what Jesus, who he was, who he is, and what he said, and how God orchestrated his people throughout this Bible, the more you know, the more you're convinced, less shame. The more you know, 
The more research you do, the more convinced you are, the less likely it will be that you're ashamed of it because it will bring trouble when you speak up. It will not be easy. It will be offensive and it will be defining when we speak boldly. Acts 1.8 tells us when Jesus was about to go and ascend into heaven, he told the disciples what? You will be my witness everywhere to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. That is not an option for us. It's not an option for us to say, you know what, I, I like to believe in Jesus, keep it to myself, not offend people. I hate the tension and the conflict that comes with speaking up about what I know to be true. It's hard. And I just would rather keep it to myself. I would rather it not be difficult. I'd rather not offend anyone. I'd rather not have to answer the questions. It's not an option. You will be my witness. It's a charge. It's a call. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's not an option either. We will engage being his witness everywhere we go. This faith, I mentioned it just a second ago, is a faith that cuts against the culture, right? We already know that Paul has hacked off some people, much like Peter and John did. The Sadducees didn't like it. Uh, politicians didn't like what he was saying because it, it, it uh, cast a shadow on their power when he talked about the power of God and Jesus. And uh, economic leaders didn't like it because as people were getting saved and the church was growing, nobody's buying their idols that they're making. And so this cut against the culture. And what happens? I want you to look at verse 15. What happens? You're aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me. We don't know a whole lot about these two guys with the funny names. We don't know a lot about the details of them leaving but I think this leaves room because he says they turned away from me. They turned away from somebody who was being bold and clear with the gospel and wasn't afraid to speak up unashamedly anywhere he was and with whoever he was with. And so they turned away from Paul. I'm not so sure that Paul is saying here that they bailed completely on Jesus. That, hey, we just don't want... Well, we still believe in Jesus. We just don't like how you're doing it. And they bailed on him. And they wanted a faith, maybe that they could keep to themselves. That, that, didn't, that didn't cause waves. That they wanted a faith that, that they could just be quiet with and enjoy and go to heaven and it never go out boldly to anyone else and to never engage anyone with these truths and this good news about Jesus. I think that's a real possibility here that these two guys just kind of, you know, if you've ever seen in the cartoons when there's a... Everybody's standing there and they're asking who the culprit is. And everybody but one guy just slowly backs up, right? And then there's left one guy sitting out there. And that looks like what's happening here. These people are just slowly backing away from Paul. Why? Because he's unashamed. He is unashamed. He is speaking boldly. And it's causing waves. It's causing conflict. It's cutting against the culture they live in. And they don't want that kind of faith. So we're out. But one guy stays. Onesiphorus, he stays. He did not leave me. I was being bold. 
When I was in Rome, before I was in prison, he came and took care of me. He was not ashamed of me and the boldness of which I preached. He never left. In this bold preaching, anytime this happens, anytime we speak up and speak into situations with the truths that we're convinced of, it's going to mean that some are going to leave. Paul went there in 1 Timothy and said, many will go away, many will leave. Many will not be bold. Many will not stick to it. But some will. Some will stay. And so what I want you to do is I want you to share in my suffering. Back up in verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. He's not saying, Timothy... Look for ways to be obnoxious and get yourself into some conflict. He's not saying that. And don't go looking for this. It's going to come. What he tells him is, don't be timid. Use your gift and be bold. He just told him that in the passage before this. Don't go looking for suffering. Don't be obnoxious. Don't go looking for this conflict. But don't back down and don't be ashamed. You suffer with me. In other words... Don't bail on me and what I've told you. Follow the sound pattern of the words I told you. Preach like me. Be bold like me. Don't be ashamed of it. You know people have already left me. They're going to do that to you too. It's going to happen. But you don't have to be ashamed of it. You don't because some are going to stay and be faithful. Share in my suffering crazy perspective here that Paul's facing all this stuff and I still want to say it one more time that in the midst of what Paul's going through what does he do? He sits down to write a letter to encourage someone else he encourages Timothy his perspective is such that he's not ashamed of his situation he, he doesn't want Timothy to be ashamed of his situation you do, Timothy you don't have to make apologies for me you don't have to make apologies for the truth about Jesus and he wants to encourage him. And how does he encourage him? He encourages him with two or three verses here. And it, it sounds so simple. And I wish I had a more impressive, complicated answer for you on how do you encourage people. You encourage them with the good news about Jesus. That's how he encourages Timothy. Look at verse 9. Back 8, 8b there. But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Did Timothy already know this? Surely he already knew, right? He, he knew that. He knew because he was a preacher, right? He was preaching the gospel week in and week out, in season and out of season. He, he knew that. But the encouragement to him, the remedy for trouble and bold, boldly speaking, the remedy for shame is to remember the good news about Jesus and what he has accomplished and the intricacies and the uh, implications of that good news. That's what he's got for Timothy as encouragement. The good news about Jesus. You don't have to make apologies for it. You do treasure it and enjoy it. 
But this is what I got for you as encouragement. Is that Jesus came. He manifested himself. And, and by the way, Timothy, I love what he says here. In that we, Ben has preached on this before. We, we, we see it from time to time. But Timothy, this was orchestrated before time began. He, he encourages him with some season talk here. Not seasoning, seasons talk. He encourages him with, this has been established. Your faith and my faith being called to Christ has been established, established before ages, before time began. This is seasonal, Timothy. What's the first question that you ask when you get that virus, that nasty stomach virus? Oh, Lord, how long will this last? Right? When will this be done? You get the flu, how long? Is it going to be a week? How long is it? How long is it going to be? And what Paul is reminding Timothy here is, Timothy, man, before your life even began, this was established. Christ accomplished something that before time began, you were chosen, Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. You need to rest because you're in a season and this won't last. You can be confident that he's coming back on the day of judgment. There's life. In fact... Death can't touch you anymore. He uses that word here, immortality. He doesn't use that word much in the New Testament or in his letters. But he uses the word immortality. He's reminding Timothy, this is just a season. This isn't what it's all about. There's something bigger going on. And death cannot conquer you. You are now immortal because of what Christ has done. And that's really good news coming from a guy who's about to be killed, right? So that death is staring Paul in the face. And his good news to Timothy, his good news to himself is, I'm immortal because of Jesus. This is, this is coming from the same guy who said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. I want you to... I want us to read this together. Philippians chapter 1. Make sure I have it right. Yeah, verse 19. This guy who says, I'm now immortal because of Christ. Listen to what he says. Listen to his struggle. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you, do you hear it? I'm not ashamed because if I live... It's for Christ, and he will be honored in my life. If I die, I go to be with him, life forever. Do you hear that? Don't miss that. It, you, you can't be ashamed. I can't be ashamed of, I can't make apology for this. I can't stop speaking about it. If I live, Christ. If I die, Christ. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, 
whether life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Do you see how he's, he struggles? He, he's so unashamed. He's so convinced and so courageous and so bold. He can't tell which would be better, to die or just to keep preaching Jesus. Which is it? He's, he's conflicted. It's a wonderful perspective. He's confident. Paul's bold. He's convinced. And he's unashamed. Just a few application points, and then we'll take the supper. Here's a question. When your faith becomes public, when your faith, faith is thrust into public conversation, when it's pulled out into the dinner table, when it's pulled out at the office, when your faith becomes a public conversation, what's your initial response? Shame? Fear? Are you worried about being devastated by rejection? Or are you convinced? Remember what Paul says. You have... Nothing to be ashamed of. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Even if it brings trouble, conflict, offending others, whatever that brings. The defining rod of the gospel is not on you. You have nothing to be ashamed of when you testify to the Lord, of the Lord. When you testify to the good news about Jesus. And that follow-up question is, are you convinced are we convinced that this is true? What we sing about, what we talk about, what we preach about, Jesus. Is it really true? How convinced are you? How confident are you in? Have you done the research? And I'm confident that the shame that we feel is directly connected to how convinced we are. So let's get convinced. Let's keep working on our confidence, and being convinced that this is true. I believe, help my unbelief. Second thing is relative to our suffering. What Paul is talking about here, this persecution. If this perspective, this confidence, this convinced, bold preaching in Christ, if it can sustain Paul, is it not worthy? Is it not capable of getting us through our sufferings, the knowledge that death has been conquered, our main problem, that knowledge that He has saved us before the foundation of the world, before time began, that all of the suffering is not chaotic to Him, power, love, and self-control. He is all-powerful. The knowledge of God and the good news about Jesus is the remedy for speaking up, not ashamed. If it's enough for Paul and his situation facing death, isn't it enough? Shouldn't it be enough for us? Last thing. When you hear Paul in Philippians 1 say, man, I don't know what would be better, to live for Christ or to die and be with Him. And I wonder if, as Americans, this is harder for us 
Are we even capable of seeing dying as gain because we've got it so good? I think that's difficult for us. I think that's a a hurdle for us as American believers that we have it pretty good. And so that makes it hard for us to say, boy, persecution and trouble, we don't like it. So we'll do everything we can to avoid it. We don't want to mess up the good stuff we have, right? I mean, I'm dancing around it, but the word is spoiled and entitled. Or are we willing to say, yes, we have it good. I mean, I'm not... Paul is the same, this is the same Paul that said in 1 Timothy 6, enjoy the good things God's given you. But boy, you better be careful with it. And can we say with Paul, man, living or dying, live for Christ, die, be with him. Ah, it's a toss-up. That's a convinced faith that doesn't back down and that is bold and speaks up and speaks in. And I pray he does that in us and continues to use us in that way. But remember what he said. Especially for those that preach and teach, get ready. Get ready. If you're preaching and teaching and you're not skipping over the hard parts, it's going to bring trouble. And when you speak up, when you've been equipped with the good news about Jesus and the hard implications and the tough implications, and you speak into the culture, you speak up at work, you speak up in your family, get ready. It's not going to be easy, but you have nothing to be ashamed of. As we prepare to take this supper, I want to look at one passage here. and um, It's a favorite of ours, I think, ever since Ben preached through John. Um, John chapter 6. Jesus says something that offends the crowd. He says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And what happens? They're offended by that. How in the world are we supposed to feed on him? Is he, is he talking about being a, can- a cannibal? Why is he trashing our heritage, our Jewish heritage? Why is he saying now that all of a sudden he's, he's it? They're offended by what he says. Either it grossed them out or they're offended that he insulted their heritage. He's saying, oh, you're now it? You're the one? God sent you to be what we need and and that's all? And what happens in verse 66? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They bailed. So Jesus turned to the twelve and he said this, do you want to go away too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God Peter is convinced right you see it do you want to walk away hanging your head in shame go ahead Jesus uh, we, where else are we going to go I'm, I'm convinced you're it I'm convinced you're it 
I have nowhere else to go. I am unashamed and convinced that you are true. So as we take this supper, we're going to take it, hopefully this morning together, convinced and unashamed to testify to its goodness.